You're listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And let and try to discern what is pleasing. The Lord take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You may be seated. July the 4th, 1776, a day that many of you know is the day that our country celebrates its independence. It actually was a room full of men in Philadelphia who, after the, uh, the long and tenuous job of uh, drafting a letter to King George of England that Thomas Jefferson wrote, that the, the, the men that were a part of the Second Continental Congress gathered together and put their names on the document. One uh, that is well known is John Hancock. And the reason why is because he was one of the first and was also one of the biggest. You could clearly see that it, it was his name that was pinned on there. And it was that document that spurred upon the great American experiment that we know as the American Revolution. And that revolution changed not only all of us this morning, but it changed the entire world as we see that it was from that moment that America fought for and won her independence. And because of that, we live in, a, I think, one of the greatest countries in the face of the world. Then you get to the mid-19th century, uh, where you have another uh, revolution that happens in our country. It's called the Great Industrial Revolution. This was a major seismic shift in uh, America, where you have uh, people no longer just working at home, living an agrarian lifestyle, farming, or, or having a local trade that you taught your family. But for the first time in American history, men particularly would leave their homes and would go to work. That happened in the mid-19th century in the Industrial Revolution. But then we get fast forward on to the 19th century. Now you kind of note something here, that you have, you have this mid-1700s, you have the mid-1800s, and now you have the mid-1900s, and there's another, another revolution that takes place. But not a bullet was fired or a shot made. This is a moral revolution. And this moral revolution came through various and sundry avenues and ways into which we have today, I believe, the aftermath of a moral revolution that has caused a seismic shift in how not only people live, but also how people identify themselves and how they see 
themselves as being. I want to give you a definition of the moral revolution. This is a personal definition. And that is, it is the radical and progressive shift from a biblical system of values and morality to a secular, non-biblical system of values and morality. I don't know about you, but even in the past 10 to 15 years, it seems that the change in the way people view uh, life and family life and sexuality and their own personal identity has changed at speeds unlike any that we can imagine, just the, the, amount of, just the amount of lightning speed in which everything is just seemingly has changed overnight. We now live in a day in which the, the current generation, Generation Z, is very, is very confused. There's a, there's a ton of confusion. I, I want you to think about this, that, that as, as you think about the next generation, we, we have bemoaned the millennials to the point to where they've been made fun of, they've been ridiculed, but they're one of the, lar- one of the larger uh, generations still around, and they're the ones paying for Social Security right now. <laughs> But I want you to think a little bit more that, that as you think about the generations, maybe some of you are Gen Xers or some of you are baby boomers or some of you are part of the Bridgers or the Builders generation, that if you think about, if you are particularly maybe a Gen Xer, which is pre-millennial, if you are one of those, think about just how the difference is between you and your grandfather or you and your grandmother. There's a lot of similarities, a lot of things that maybe you would have in common. Now think about the current generation and how they relate with their grandparents who are maybe in the boomer generation. Maybe perhaps, but the difference between you and your grandparent was maybe like a small ditch. Now the difference between your, this generation, Generation Z, and their grandparents is the Grand Canyon. It's totally different. The way people think, the way people interact, the way people view life and morality. And So the question is this, if you are a parent or a grandparent or you know one, or if, even if you're a child, how shall we live? How, how shall we live in the midst of this moral confusion that has shifted from a biblical Christian worldview to a secular, non-biblical worldview? How, how can you go from absolute truth to moral relativism and confusion? I mean, what do you do? How do you begin to address certain issues? Because I want you to understand that if you are a parent of a child that's in elementary school or preschool or one that's in middle school or high school, they are dealing with things that you would have never fathomed of dealing with today. And so what do we do with this? Well, does the Bible have anything to say about it? And the question is yes. Paul says to the church of Ephesus, He says in verse number one, he says that we are to imitate God. Mimetes is the Greek word. He he says, therefore, this is therefore in light of some commands that Paul has given. Paul just kind of went through a a bunch of commands saying that we are to do this and not do that. And, And then before that, he says that we are to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling as believers. And, and we saw last week that behavior, Christian behavior, flows out of being. That it's not, it's not that your being flows out of your behavior, but your, your behavior flows out of your being. That if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. And because you are a new creature, it changes who you are. And it's not to earn God's acceptance. It's because you already have God's acceptance. So then he says, therefore, be imitators of God. Mimic God. Be like God. Now, we can't be God. That's Mormonism. But we are to be like God as beloved children, children that are loved. You know what, as I shared with you last week, that when you have a healthy relationship with your children, it is amazing how your children will love and admire you and they will want to be like you. And then they grow out of it, right? (laughs) 
But there's this desire that they want to dress like you and talk like you and be like you and do things like you do. And so here we have been rescued, redeemed and purchased, forgiven and adopted by the greatest father in the universe. And therefore he says, be like your daddy. And then be like your daddy by acting like your older brother, Jesus. Now, the one thing we have is we actually have a perfect brother. His name is Jesus, who loved us so much that he died for us. And so he says, listen, this is how you live your life. And then he begins to talk about some more issues of how we are to live our lives as being lights in a dark world. That we are to be different. We are to be set apart. Listen, we cannot control the world, but we are to be different than the world. And so what your children need, what your grandchildren need, is they don't need you beating them over the head with morality. They need you shining the light of Jesus to them every day. So what I want us to do is, by God's grace and for His glory, walk through this text the best that we can and just see what God has to say with us this morning. The first thing I want you to see is what Paul talks about here is kind of the darkness of our day. And the problem with darkness is that even though we've been transformed by His light, we still live in a world that's dark. And sometimes, if we're not careful, the darkness will, can even diminish the light within us. He says in verse 3, but this is a... Uh, a comparison word, a contrasting word. It's a conjunction. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? It is contrasting. He says in verse number one and two that we are to imitate God, mimitase. We are to imitate God. And he says, but these are things that don't imitate God. So what are these things that don't imitate God? He says here that sexual immorality and all impurity. And then he says, our covetousness. So he says, these things must not be named among you. So if you're going to be like God... Sexual immorality, porneia, impurity, which is just unnatural, impure lifestyle, or covetousness, which is greed or idolatry, these things must not be named among you. You have to be different. Now, listen, if you think for just a second, these, these two issues of, of literally sex and, and money, greed, sex and greed, are really the two very comprehensive sins that, that really a lot of other things that happen in our life flow from. And if you think about the moral revolution of our day, what's changed in our society and what's fueling our society are the two issues of sex and money. Everything in our world seems to be driven by both. You think about the moral revolution of our day, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but think about how the desire for liberation is also married with corporate sponsors. You smell when I'm stepping in there. It used to be that corporations would be completely amoral or neutral. But now, corporations have not become neutral anymore. They are now becoming very partisan. You following what I'm saying here? And so it seems to be that money and sex are still tied together. But I want to just share with you what Paul Tripp says in his book, wonderful title, Sex and Money. Here's what he says. He says, both sex and money are both from the Creator's hands. Both are beautiful in themselves, but both have become distorted and dangerous by the means of the fall. Both have the perverse power to master your heart and in so doing determine the direction of your life. Both give you the buzz that you're in, they give you the buzz that you're in control while at the very same time becoming the master that progressively change, chains you to their control. Do you not see that? Sex is a good thing. If you're married and within the bounds of marriage, money's a great thing. If you use it and you're not mastered by it, but because we're sinners and we're broken people, 
it can be dangerous. It can be dangerous. So here he says that sexual immorality, which is, which is the word here is porneia, which one commentator says is just a bucket of nasty, a junk drawer for all kinds of sexual sins. This is idolatry, fornication, pornography, and any kind of sexual relationship outside of marriage between one man and one woman. He said, these things should not be named among you. Covetousness, which is greed. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says, watch out for covetousness. Watch out for greed. Greed is, or covetousness is, is really idolatry. It's desiring something so intensely that if you don't have it, you can't imagine ever being happy without it. So again, I want to just reiterate that sex and money are neutral. But if combined with the selfishness of sin and the brokenness of the world, they are deadly. Now, if you want to really get to it, we are really good at being selective in our own morality. And so we tend to pick one sin over another sin. But I want you to really boil down to that, that what all sin is, is it's an exchange. It's an exchange for, our, for God's design for our desires. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says that they exchange the, the glory of God and they exchange the, the creator for the creature. They worship the creature rather than the creator. And really, if you boil it down, it's this desire to be in control. The moral revolution... Its symptoms are in sexuality, its symptoms are in worldview, its symptoms in any other way that you can, you can find it. If you really boil it down, it's the perversion of what God has made that is good, and it's a decision to live a life independent from what God says. So the heart, this is a good word, the heart of the moral revolution is not any particular sin as much as is the desire to decide what is right and what is wrong. You catch that? Follow with me or say amen or let me know. Or hit your neighbor next to you and say, wake up. What I'm saying is this, is that we tend to kind of make it to be one thing, but really this moral revolution is in our society is, is, is the train is moving in such a way that it is now blatantly saying, I want to be God. I want to be in control. Rosaria Butterfield, who was a... Uh, a, a lady who lived in an alternative lifestyle. She was a homosexual uh, for years, and she became a Christian. She actually was a professor at the University of Syracuse and became a Christian through the, the love uh, of just someone in her life who, who didn't just beat her up over the head, but just pointed her to Jesus Christ. She gave her life to Christ, and she has since then became a writer and, and a speaker on different topics. But here's what she wrote in her, in her book, uh, on this issue, she said homosexuality or sexual sin, I put that there, is not the core of our rebellion against God. A desire to be God is. A desire to be the one who gets to declare good and evil, play judge rather than be judged. A desire to use God's creation for our own gratification rather than with pleasure for His glory. I, amen. Well, I think it's a good word too. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 Isaiah says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Even in, even in his day in ancient Israel, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The problem of the moral revolution, what's changed the most in our day as opposed to other days, is in the past it was just tolerance. We want you to be tolerant of our lifestyle. We want you to be tolerant of what we do. But it's now gone from being tolerant so now they want you to celebrate. You see what I'm getting at? 
is that now it's no longer about tolerance, it's about celebration. People want you to celebrate with them and whatever lifestyle, regardless of what it is, that they are choosing is best for them. And that's what's changed. It's now we want you to celebrate with us. We want you to glory in what we are doing. So I can have sex with whomever I want to have sex with. I can spend money on whatever I want to spend. I can get whatever I want to get. I can do whatever I want to do. And you can't say a word. As a matter of fact, you have to celebrate me for being me. And that's where it's problematic for believers, right? That's where it's very problematic for unbelievers. You know, one of the questions that I've been asked as a pastor is will you attend a wedding of a same-sex couple? Whether it's a family member or not. And I'm just going to be pretty, pretty honest and candid. I will not. I will not. Now, don't, 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 not yet. I'm not yet. Not yet. Why? Because it's not a wedding. It's not a marriage. It's not a biblical marriage. It's God's Word. Marriage is God's word. But I'm also going to say this, is that some of us who clap to that may also attend the wedding of someone who's a believer to a non-believer. And I won't attend that either. See, here's the thing. It is really easy for us to be selective in our own morality. Our job is not to beat people up. I, I don't want to steal my thunder on this because I've got some good thunder coming. But I want you to understand that sexual immorality and impurity, homosexuality, is not the worst sin. But the reason why Paul brings it up is because it's the clearest example of elevating our desires above and over God's design. But I want you to understand that the issue is not about them out there. The issue is all about us in here. All of us in this room are guilty of prioritizing our desires over God's design. And unfortunately, we in the church, again, have this thing that that, that is the worst sin ever. That if you are, to, if you are uh, uh, living in a homosexual lifestyle, or if you are cross-dressing, or if you are, if you are engaged in, in multiple affairs, or if you're, that you're the worst human being on the face of the earth. Well, I want you to understand this one thing. We're all sinners. We are totally depraved. We're cursed from our birth. It doesn't mean that we are as bad as we could be, but what total depravity means is that we have rejected God as the center of our lives. We're all sinful. And so Paul continues. And he says in verse number 4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, or as one person said, locker room talk. And you can figure out who I'm talking about. He says, those things should not be named among you. Here, why would he go from these kind of what we would call these big sins in the Baptist church to now, now getting to the mouth? He says, Pastor, you've gone from preaching to meddling. And the reason why is because your language reflects your heart. I think that this filthy talking and foolish talk and crude joking are actually talking about the sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. What, what, is, what are most jokes about nowadays? Those type of sins. And now some, now I just want you to understand here that what Paul is getting at is that you are to be different. You are to be like your father. You are to be like your older brother. You are to walk in love. 
You are to be imitators of him. Even though the world around you is celebrating in sin and living in darkness, you aren't to be that way. And he says there should not be filthy, foolish, crude talking coming. And here's what I want you to say. Your language reflects your heart. The darkness in your heart will reveal itself in the dirtiness of your language. So listen, saying a cuss word will not send you to hell. But it will show that there is some hell still in your heart. Think about the discourse of our day. Think about how people dialogue. We are the most connected people in the face of the world, and yet the most disconnected. Think about how people talk to each other on social media. Think about how people interact with people on the media. Think about just how people deal with people on the streets. And we have, in our, in our world, for the first time, things being said that would have never been dreamt of being said. And their thought is funny. So Paul says, listen, this is not what you should be about. This is the darkness of our day. There is sexual immorality and covetousness and there's all kinds of filthiness and dirtiness that's going on in the world and all these are just symptomatic of a heart's desire to have their desires over God's design. But then he goes on and gives a warning. The warning is, listen, you need to make sure you don't need to be deceived because, listen, there are people in the church who say they're going to heaven, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Not everybody talking about heaven's going there. Not everybody who sits around with a self-righteous, smug smile on their face is going to heaven when they die. He says, Paul says, you need to know and make sure that if you are living a sinful lifestyle and you are clinging to that sinful lifestyle, it doesn't matter the veneer that you have on the outside. If you don't have a change on your inside, you're not right with God. He says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Let me tell you, there are a lot of preachers preaching empty words to get full churches. And the reason why is because we've watered down the church. Let me give you some Tozer this morning. E.W. Tozer said this, he says, the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking and worshiping men. This she has done, not deliberately, but little by little and without her knowledge, and her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. Paul says, listen, don't be deceived. The darkness in this day. Don't, don't be a part of this. He says, don't, don't fall for the, for the things of this world. But he, says, he says, listen, there are people even in the church who aren't really right with God. And some of you that are, maybe you're new to church, or maybe this is your first time in church, and your whole interaction with believers is that they're a bunch of stinking hypocrites. And we all are, but some of you are like, how in the world can these person, this person say that they're a Christian and live like this? And I'm going to tell you that doesn't mean they're a Christian. I truly believe with all my heart that if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are saved and forgiven. If, you've truly, if you're truly saved, you're always saved. I believe with all my heart, but not everybody who says they're saved is saved. There are people that are deceived in the church. And Paul says that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Just because you've been baptized and just because you shook a preacher's hand or just because you've done the hokey pokey and turned yourself around doesn't mean you're going to heaven. 
But here's what I want you to hear this morning, some good news. And the good news is this, is that Jesus came to save sinners. And it doesn't matter how dark our day is, Jesus can save anybody. Jesus came to save sinners, that's all kinds of sinners. And this morning, it doesn't matter what kind of sinner you are, what does matter is the kind of Savior He is. So let me give you the last point, and thankfully there's only two. The darkness of our day and the light we must shine. So remember, the premise he's talking to the church, I'm going to put this in the family. Mom and dads, realize that your children can sniff out a fake. They know whether you have a real relationship with God or not. And if the Christianity that they see in you is this hypocritical, Christian-like veneer. Don't be surprised that they're going to reject that when they get out of your house. So what do we need to be? We need to be who God has made us to be. So that's why he says in verse number 8, for at one time you were darkness. Not that you did darkness, but that you were dark. Paul is constantly reminding, and we need to constantly remind ourselves, just who we used to be. And then he says, now you are the light in the Lord. You are the light. You have had an identity change. You were once a member of the kingdom of darkness, and now you are a son and a daughter in the kingdom of light. So you don't have to follow the ways of the world. He says in verse number 8, walk as children of the light. You have a new identity. You've been given a new name. You have a new uh, destiny. And therefore, you should change because of the change inside of you. You should be different from the world. That's why he says that not even a hint of these things should be named among you. We are to be different than the world. So it's not one thing for us to hold up picket signs and bemoan all the sins of the world, and yet in our own lives behind closed doors, we're just as evil as they are. It's amazing. The guy who bemoans homosexuality is the same guy at home watching pornography when no one's around. He says, listen, these things should not be named among you. You are to walk as children in the light. And he says, you are to be different, not to be odd. I've met some odd people before. Don't get the idea that you're to be odd for God. You're to be different. He says, instead of participating in the works of darkness, participate in the works of light. Your job, my job, is to not promote evil, but to point people to the gospel of Jesus, thus exposing darkness to light. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Notice what Paul says, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the in a midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Speaking of 21st century America. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Or shine light. Your job is to shine light. The light is Jesus. You're to shine Jesus. You're to hold forth the word of God, not a political party. Listen, we're not here to make America great again. We're here to make Jesus known. Now, some of you are going to get upset at me and say, I'm being apolitical. I'm not being, I'm, listen, Jesus didn't, Jesus does not ride on the backs of an elephant or a donkey. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. But we should not ask it's for God to be on our side. What we should ask is that we're on His. Yeah. 
But we're to shine. I got political and I didn't mean to, but it just happened. We're to shine the light. What does your family need? Your family needs the light. That's what it needs. And not the glow of the television or the glow of your computer screen. They need the light of Jesus. Because light reveals things. The closer you get to the light, especially if there's a mirror, the uglier you look. Can I get a witness? I mean, from a distance, I don't look that bad. With filters on Instagram, I can actually look pretty good. But when I really look in the, in the mirror and the light is on that mirror and I'm right there, I say, good Lord. Mirror, mirror on the wall. I can't believe I'm that ugly. <laughs> but that's what light does and that's why people don't like the light. Now, some people don't like Christians who beat people up with the Bible, and I don't like people like that. We're so easy to get the splinter out of someone else's eye and forget the log sticking in our own. But we're to be light, and if you are light, people aren't going to like light because it irritates them. Have you ever been asleep? Dead asleep, rooms dark. And your wife gets up to run at 5 o'clock in the morning and she goes into the bathroom and turns every light in the bathroom on? Now, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. That's never happened to me. But it's annoying. People don't like, when they're in darkness, they don't want the light on. So, but light reveals sin. But light also gives direction. So as lights in the world, we reveal sin, but we also point people in the right direction. That's what your job is to be. Again, going to another illustration, a few months, a few weeks ago, we were on vacation, and where we were staying at, they had these where you can make the entire room pitch dark. And that's lovely, isn't it? Like you can make it so dark, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And I, I mean, so, so I, and I like it, whenever I sleep, I like it cold and dark. Amen. Matter of fact, in, somewhere in the Bible, it says that's how you're supposed to sleep. And so, the other day, when we were on vacation, the room was so dark. And what I wanted to do, because I'm a good husband, is I wanted to let my wife sleep while I got up. And I was going to go to the gym. And I had my clothes laid out right here. And my thought was, is I'm just going to go there. I know where they are, muscle memory. I'm going to go, put them on, get my phone, put it in my pocket, make sure I got my shoes on, and I'm going to walk out that door, go out, and my wife will never know the difference, won't turn any lights on, I'll be good. So I did that. And I came out, and my shirt was inside out, <laughs> and I had two different shoes on. <laughs> now, I just rolled with it. I had, it was a Kentucky shirt, so I was on that treadmill. All those other foreign people out there with me at the, at the resort, and I had two different shoes on for the glory of God. For real. But the next day I had an idea. And that is, I thank God for this little app right here. And so what I did is I got up in the morning, and I, I hit it real close. I turned it on, and I was real close with it, and I was like, 
shut it off, and then went on about and I was fine. It reveals, it reveals. I don't know what I was, it was just a funny story I felt you needed to know. But here's what I'm trying to get at, is that light reveals sin, it reveals what's wrong with you, but it also guides you to, so that you can do what's right. And what we're to do is we're to be the light of Jesus. But here's the deal, we are essentially like the moon. The moon doesn't have light of its own, does it? The moon just simply reflects what? The sun. Even when you can't see the sun, when it's dark, you can see the light of the sun through the moon. And you reflect the sun. That's what we're called to be. We're just reflectors of the sun. So how can I shine as a light? As we end this sermon, and I know you're excited about that. How do I shine the light of Jesus? Number one, I have to stay close to Jesus. I have to stay close to him. He says, be imitators of God. When I was little, I used to try to do voices. Like mimic people. I don't do it much anymore. But, but there were some that I used to do. Like there was this one that was on the show. I think it was called, what was it? it was like America's Funniest Home Videos or something. And it'd be like, fast as fast as me, you'll never catch me. Does any of you, like all four of you, remember that reference? And then so I used to do other voices. And then I just realized I wasn't good at them. And so I gave up. I went into retirement. I just came out for a second, but now I'm going back in. But, but they say that people that mimic people for a living, they study them. They learn their mannerisms. They, 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 they get to learn how they are. And there are some people that are incredibly great at mimicking. Well... I don't want you to get the idea that we're to mimic Jesus but not really know Jesus. But here's what I want you to get at. We are to imitate God. And, and how we can do that is we have to study God. We have to be around God. We have to be close to God. I can't be a light if I'm away from God. I can't be the moon if I don't have the sun nearby. I've got to be close to Jesus. The reason why your family is struggling is because you are not walking with Jesus. You can't put that on your kids. And some of you wives are saying, man, well, I, I know why our, our husband's not walking with God. Well, here's the deal. You can't fix him, but you can walk close to Jesus yourself. So be in the Word. Learn from Jesus. That's how you can shine your light to your family. That's how you can shine your light to the world, is you've got to get close to Jesus, get close to His light. But here's the second thing. You've got to also be near to those who are in darkness. What good is a room filled with light? What good is a flashlight in a room full of light? So when, we, when I may say near people in darkness, that is not to sin with them, but to be near them. It has been said that after you become a Christian, 18 months after you become a Christian, most people have changed who their friends are, and they, have the, they don't have the same relationships they used to have with people that were unbelievers. And so if you and I are going to expose the darkness, we have to be around people that are in the dark. You cannot expect people in the dark to want to be around you if you are in the light, if you are a self-righteous nincompoot. Now, I am not saying that you are to sin, but if you go back to studying Jesus, what did Jesus do? He hung out with sinners, didn't he? He was known as a friend of sinners. As a matter of fact, they accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton. He was with sinners, but not sinning like the sinners. 
He was exposing their sin. He never watered it down. But he also showed love and they flocked to him in droves. Because when you are the light of Jesus, it will attract people to you. Realize this, that you are the only Jesus some people will ever see. And you are the only Bible that some people will ever read. And the question is, what kind of reflection are you giving? What are you doing? I want to give you four quick points to how you can shine your light to others. And this is not original. These are from a guy named Sam Alberry, who is a pastor in England. And here's what he says. I'm going to go through these really quickly, so listen quickly. One, if you want to be a light to those that are in darkness, number one, listen well. Stop yapping and listen. Too many Christians are talking, they're not listening. Listen, and when you listen, you will hear underneath the surface. You will see where this person is. You will hear the hurt, the confusion, if you just listen. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Shut your mouth. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just shut up. Second, we need not to say something to someone that we can't say to everyone. God help us all. We need to love people. Most people in the moral revolution believe that all Christians hate them. And that all Christians think that they are beneath them. We need to see that all people are made in the image of God they are not freaks, but they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Three, we need to show the goodness of God. People in the moral revolution have a wrong view of God. They see him as a bigot. They see him as an ogre. Or they see him as someone who just accepts everyone and everything regardless. We need to stand firm on the truth, but with love. Show them the goodness and the kindness of God. Four, point them to Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. They don't need a list of moral rules. They don't need the Ten Commandments. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. What people need before they can ever be different is they have to have a relationship with Jesus. And so what people need, what your kids need, what your grandkids need is they need Jesus. So point them to Jesus. If you are witnessing to someone and they're living in an alternative sinful lifestyle, point them to the life of Jesus. Do you realize Sam Alberry says that the most fully human and complete person who ever lived wasn't married, never had a romantic relationship, and didn't have sex? Point them to the teaching of Jesus. That sex, Jesus was very firm that sex outside of marriage is sinful. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And the only godly alternative to marriage is celibacy. Point them to the claims of Jesus. Come to me, all you that are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Point them to the death and resurrection of Jesus, who died for our sins and rose from the dead who knows the hurt of your heart, who didn't just die for you, but suffered with you so that he can bring you to a new destiny. 
shine the light of Jesus. Shine it. That's how you fight for your family in the middle of a moral revolution is you hold the light up. You keep shining. When all the winds and the waves and the storms of life come, you keep shining the light. And that's why he says at the end, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. This is great. To, this is a good verse for your kids in the morning. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. You children of darkness, wake up. The light is shining. Christ is shining. This morning, Christ is shining. And you can be saved and you can be changed. Wake up. You who are members of the church but have no relationship with God, wake up. You who are parents or grandparents who have been lulled to sleep by the lullabies of this world, wake up. Christ is shining He's shining down. He wants to change your family. He wants to change your life. He wants to give you a new hope and a new future and a new destiny. Wake up. Wake up. 